When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings, America's number one sportsbook app. Now joined by the great Jody Ayler, I am Mike Luke. I want to say this, a lot of people, big time people get their start in Tucson. You think of Ryan Radke, you think of Jody Ayler, they move on to bigger and better things. Jody holding up in Tempe or up in uh, Phoenix right now. How you doing there, my man? I'm good, man. You know, Ryan Radke and I are the reason Arizona did not get back to the final four against Illinois. We uh, we were working at 1290, and it was the day of that big game, and we decided to watch that game together in Radke's office, and um, we're both horrified in silence as Illinois pulled off, obviously, what happened. So, yeah, Ryan and I are, are joined at the hip for Arizona basketball lore. Well, that game was crazy because, again, you're up 15, under four, and you're waiting for a timeout. There's no timeout that's coming, and before long, it's three points, and then it just kind of dawns on you that, oh, my gosh, this is happening. Like, it was so <laughs> surreal. So weird. It, it was in slow motion, and you really, like you said, you were really just like, nah, this isn't going to really happen. And then, you know, part of Arizona basketball's history that got buried for a while that came roaring back was just the tournament uh, disappointment and heartbreak was, you know, synonymous with being a U of A fan for years and years. But yeah, so Ryan, Ryan is real big time and uh, I'm happy to be here, man. All right, my man. So let's talk about it. Jed Fish gets hired. I want to want to kind of run the whole uh, gamut right here with you. When Jed Fish got hired two years ago, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought it was a bizarre hire. I didn't know. I mean, he went from job to job. Um, Never really heard his name as a finalist for anything. His presser was awesome where he said, you know, nobody will outwork me on the recruiting trail. I will do whatever it takes. But we heard that from someone. We heard that from, um, you know, we heard that from Rich Rod. And so far, so good, Jody. Yeah, I've been impressed, too. You know, you go back to that hire. I'm with you. Like, I went to school with Brad Brennan, so I was kind of biased towards Brent Brennan because I'm like, hey, I've got a personal connection to the potential next U of A coach. That'd be kind of cool. But you were, we were really, you know, dealing from the bottom of the deck after the Kevin Sumlayer. And then Jed Fish comes in and, yeah, kind of had this reputation as a climber and a guy that was just going to, you know, name drop. Like there was there, there was a little bit of, is this guy for real? Is this a used car salesman act? And I'm with you, man. He's a worker bee. And I've talked about this most recently with ASU's hire, which we don't have to dive too much into. But, like, I think the model for success that U of A – help pay for ASU to make their hire is you need worker bees. Forget about brand yeah. names, forget about success or 
oh, Kevin Sumlin's famous. I mean, I feel like the biggest ass because I thought Kevin Sumlin's hiring was just the best day for U of A football in my lifetime. Right. I was like, finally, they somebody wants U of A. And, it, and then it was obviously probably worse than Makovich, all things considered. And so um, I think Jed Fish – is a worker bee with real, real uh, connections. He's got some football aptitude. I do think the next step is the hardest, right? Like mm-hmm. the first two years, you take those steps. The third year and the next step becoming like a winning football team, that's right. that's the hardest in the transfer era. We'll see. And I totally agree with you. I like the Dilly hire. Initially, I think a lot of people were like, you know, um, oh, well, you know, Dilly. Or, uh, and you look at him. And he wants this job. I've always felt at Arizona and ASU, Jody, you have to want that job because, again, especially Phoenix, it's a little bit easier because you've obviously got a lot more players to delve uh, to get to. But when Dillingham comes in, his entire thing is we're going to recruit in state. Um, he grew up there. He's going to try to put a wall off Phoenix. Now, again, you're not going to put a wall around Phoenix, but at the same time, if you can get 40% of the kids, 33% of the kids to stay, that's a lot better than the three or 4% that have been staying. And Jed fish is much the same way. He said, you listen, you know, we'll use Sal point for an example, Bijan Robinson, Lathan ransom. We're, barely recruited by Arizona. It was lip service. Jed Fish said, you know, without saying those names, he said, I will make those kids say no to me until they sign. And so both these coaches get that in that front in a way that previous coaches didn't get. Yeah, you nailed it in terms of you got to want the job, but you got to understand the job because the job is different at U of A. And now, I mean, to a lesser extent, but similar to ASU at U of A, if you don't understand the uniqueness of the Tucson market. And I love Tucson. I lived Mm -hmm. there for 15 years. I met my wife there. I got my career there. Um, There's a part of me that's always in Tucson. It's unique. It is is a community that does not want to be treated as a obvious stepping stone to somewhere better. It is a community that wants to feel pride that you want to be there because you love Tucson and you love that uniqueness. And there's a lot of coaches that'll come in and be like, oh, I love the desert and great weather but they don't know tucson they don't understand tucson and i think jed fish you would know this better than i but from my perspective on the outside has probably done more to sort of understand tucson no he still makes some mistakes like you i don't care how many full page ads you take out in the arizona daily star people are only coming to the stadium if the team is good enough to warrant their time and attention and that's just a lesson learned over and over and over and over again it's it's appreciated but I think he knows, and I think he knew when he took it and still knows, it's a high degree of difficulty. It's a huge payoff um, if you can get a couple more steps under your belt. And I honestly don't care if it's a stepping stone for Jed Fish. It's not a part of the equation for me right now. Right. I just want Arizona football to get respectable so that it's, it's a program that can sort of instill some pride. Now the defense is obviously still terrible, and they've got to address that. But you mentioned uh, you mentioned Brad Brennan. I've always felt that that '98 receiving core was the best in school history, where you got Dennis Northcutt, Jeremy McDaniel, and Brad Brennan. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I would say this, especially in year two, but I think that they're probably while that team is the best team in school history, that unit's probably number two right now to the unit that we just saw this past year with Cowing Singer, who's obviously departed, and uh, uh, T Mac which just goes to show you the overhaul at one position has been absolutely astounding. 
Yeah, I mean, one advantage that the 98 team had, and I, I was a freshman in 98 at Apache Santa Cruz dorms right next oh, to Oh, you were in Santa Cruz? Oh, you're, okay, I got you. I was I was Apache Santa Cruz, which were literal jail cells. I mean, mm-hmm. they're the size of a jail cell. There's a bunk bed, there's two desks, and we had a 13-inch TV. And now you go on campus and, like, every dorm's a five-star hotel with, like, concierge service and rooftop pools. And I'm like, man, we had it different back then. But um, one, one advantage that 98 team had, they didn't get into a, a physical, you know, a wrestling match on the sideline in the penultimate game of the year, which kind right. of, I, you know, I'm used to – Dorian Singer's such an interesting test case, Mike, because that's the kind of player that used to build a, a program. That's the kind of player that you would emerge as a recruiting success that would be a feather and – and Jed Fish's cap that would allow other players to be recruited based off of his success. And now it just doesn't work that way. Now he's just good for him. He's going to cash in on his own brand equity. And fortunately, right. U of A, due to Jed Fish, has plenty of, of, of sort of receivers to still be dangerous. But it's kind of a bummer that you recruit a guy, you develop a guy, he's got an opportunity and then you don't really get to reap the benefits of it at all. Right, for sure. What do you what do you look for next year then? Cuz I'm of the belief that you got year you got one win in year 1, you got 5 years in win 2. I think you got to try to take that next step. I think you got to start looking at getting into that 7 or that 8 win realm, especially with an easier schedule. Yeah, it's basically we're back to the old uh, a bowl game and any kind of bowl game. The Vegas Bowl against BYU <laughs> exactly. for the first time in 10 years is like the greatest day in a decade for, for Arizona football. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a bowl game. Um, I'd like to see them be a little bit more competitive, particularly defensively in some of those bigger matchups in the Pac-12. I think you want to see a little bit more from just the overall defensive identity. I think the offense is good, man. I think the running back group mm-hmm. was really effective. Um, I you, you tell me, like, I'm I'm good with Jaden Delora. Like I think Jaden Delora is is fine. I'm happy yeah. if he's the starting quarterback next year. I wouldn't be super bummed if there was a transfer portal quarterback that came in and provided competition. But it almost feels unnecessary. Let's just be good with Jaden. Um, and then it's really to the defense. But in a, in a big picture sense, yeah, it's it's a bowl game, and I'd like to see a little more competition against the Utahs and and UWs of the world. All right, got to pay the bills here. Four Peaks, the official brew of PHNX. Tell me if you think this is funny, Jody. Before the season, um, U of A had four big men that I thought were going to play. Umar Ballo, Azulis Tabellis, Vesar, and uh, Dylan Anderson. Obviously, Anderson isn't playing, but I dubbed them the Four Peaks. Is that just stupid? It's not stupid, but you're you, that's Phoenix and Tucson. You know that. That's a cardinal rule you can't break, Mike. You got you got to call them the, you know, I don't know, the – Mount Lemon. I don't know what we were going to call them. The Rincons or something. The A Mountain. A Mountain. Hey, that. There we go. Let's workshop this. <laughs> All right. So again, Four Peaks, the official brew, PHNX. You can go up to their watch parties. We have watch parties at Tap and Bottle downtown. Um, come check them out. Check us out. All the away games for football and basketball. It's a great time. Uh, we get to yell at the screen. Uh, embrace backing the A, watching Arizona do what they do. And again, watching Arizona basketball, which we're going to get to in a second, which these uh, watch parties are about to start back up. So again, uh, check it out. Four Peaks and Tap and Bottle downtown. All right. Tommy Lloyd, you grew, you were at school from, uh, you said you were a freshman in 98, right? 98, yeah, 98. Okay, so you, so you get the year after the national title. But from 98 to 03, 
Arizona really took a backseat to nobody in college basketball. Again, 97-98, you lose to Utah, but you were in the top five all season. 0-1, in my opinion, is the best team in school history. And then in 0-3, you obviously had a team that was number one for, I want to say, seven or eight, six or seven weeks. So you've seen Arizona basketball at its apex. And while Sean Miller did some good things here, it never felt like what Luke did in that it was up and down. We're going to embarrass you with high scoring games and we're going to do it with this. You know, we're going to do it in a certain classy kind of way. Tommy Lloyd's got some of that going right now here, Jody. Oh yeah, no, I love it. I mean, it, 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 it is everything kind of vintage Arizona basketball that reminded you of what you fell in love with in the first place. And Sean Miller, you know, he was, hired and he was kind of the supermodel that you're dating but then there was a lot of baggage and as time went on it was like is this really worth it and now Tommy Lloyd's the girl next door if I can mix metaphors here yeah he's just he's perfect and I think Arizona basketball I think uh, we'll talk about it here in a minute I'm sure I mean this season's pretty interesting there's there's I've got my eye on a few things with this team that I'm a little concerned about but I love watching them play I love the style of play um when I was in school, every Arizona basketball game was a signature event for the community, for the university, for the campus. Even when I graduated and I was working down there doing daily shows, um, it was every single game was an event. Right. That tailed off a little bit at the tail end of Sean Miller, and it started to feel a little bit like the you know transition between Lute and Sean a little bit and the Russ Pennell, Mike Dunlap forgotten years. Kevin O'Neill. Okay, your guy, Kevin O'Neill, right? So there was there was a certain element of like, is this ever going to get back to feeling the way it felt before? And then last year was just a slap in the face. Like, this is vintage Arizona basketball, and uh, I love Tommy Lloyd. I, you know, Christian Coloco, I thought had the, uh, had the, or excuse me, Tommy Lloyd had the line of it when he was asked, how is Christian Coloco so much better this year than he has in previous years? And all he said, Jody was, we love on him. Every player's different. He needs to be loved on. And, you know, I always think to the Bill Parcells quote, when he was asked about, you know, why do you always yell at Phil Sims and let Lawrence Taylor go off and do what he wants? Well, because Lawrence doesn't respond to that. Phil Sims does. You've got to know your personnel. And Tommy Lloyd knew that Christian Coloco needed to be encouraged. You know, not that he's soft or anything. And that's something about being a great coach that the great coaches get. 100%. And I think a part of that is humility. And I think mm -hmm. Tommy Lloyd has humility. And I think that he's also obviously very confident and, and confident in his abilities. But by the end of his run, and we don't have to rehash it, Sean Miller almost became bigger than the program. It was about Sean Miller. It was Arizona basketball started with Sean Miller. And even though they tried the players program thing for a while, when you don't have high level success and you're not getting to the final four and you're not knocking on that door as much or even at all after the two Wisconsin losses, it, it just became about Sean, his legacy, his drive. I mean, I think those final four shortcomings basically broke him as a coach and as a dude uh, reading the profile recently on CBS Sports where right. <laughs> his right. wife's just like, he's a, he was a miserable human being for a long time. And we all saw that. And with Tommy Lloyd, I think it's equally true. What we see with Tommy is a guy that's loving the opportunity. He pre You know, Tommy Lloyd could have almost certainly picked any handful of jobs in the previous years leading up to taking Arizona, stayed at Gonzaga, 
he could have, you know, waited out any high major program and probably been a viable candidate. The fact that he picked Arizona because in large part of its unique history and its legacy under loot, he, he just feels he's on that family tree for sure. He he feels like he's kind of the the rightful successor if that makes yeah. if that makes any yeah. sense. Um, and you look at it, and again, we're going to get into this year's team in just a second. But another guy, look at Ben Matherin. Ben Matherin was a guy who, as a freshman, was looked at as kind of a all right. He can make threes and he can dunk, but can he do anything else? Uh, I almost said Jed Fish. Tommy Lloyd comes in here, and not only is he doing that, he's getting to the basket in a way. He's making guys miss off the dribble. He's you know, I think to that TCU game where a lot of coaches would have called timeouts there when Arizona's down three, you know, before going into overtime. And Lloyd waves him off and says, do your thing, pulls up for a three, ties the game. That's the kind of player freedom that I think allows special players like Ben Matherin to really express themselves. And you're seeing that in the NBA. And I think that's a big reason the Lutz guys were so successful in the NBA. Totally. And so when you say that Tommy Lloyd is the rightful successor to Lute Olson, I think what we really mean is that Mark Few really was sort of the spiritual successor of West Coast basketball no to doubt. Lute Olson. No doubt. And I don't know, you know how that lands with some Arizona fans because Gonzaga has basically become a, you know, a rival or there's some jealousy there. But like when I was in school, Mike, for years, it was Mark Few's going to replace Lute Olson. Mark right. Few is going to be the guy. Because Gonzaga wasn't good enough to be what it is now. We didn't think so. And you thought, all right, if he wants to win a national championship or get to a Final Four, he's going to have to come to U of A. And then, you know, Brad Stevens gets to a couple national championships with Butler, and I think it just fundamentally altered the landscape of college basketball. And then Mark Few became too big of a fish uh, for even Arizona to think about landing. And so Tommy Lloyd is – Basically, Mark Few, who is basically the West Coast heir apparent to Lute Olson. And I think what's exciting about Lloyd, too, is he can get here. Now, granted, Arizona, to me, there's there's like four or five programs that, you know, your Kansas, your Kentuckys, your North Carolinas, your Dukes. Then there's that second tier of schools, your Arizonas, your, um, your Louisvilles, your Michigan States that are always kind of in there. Tommy Lloyd can win championships at uh, Arizona and he can get the players that he wants. So, you know, when people worry about, well, will somebody go off and leave? I'm with you. I don't necessarily worry about stuff like that because if that means they left, that means that they took the program to a lot better spot than it was. But Lloyd feels like Lloyd feels like he fits here and vice versa. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What are, what are the, um, anecdotes that that you may have heard through the grapevine of like Tucson's a small community if you live in Tucson you're going to bump into people because what is the generic Tommy Lloyd interaction man on the street at you know St. Phillips Plaza or at you know whatever bougie grocery store Tommy Lloyd shopping at. Well, I've got, well, I got a story for that. A guy who calls Arizona basketball games from time to time ran into him at Bob Dobbs and he said, you know, he was just going in there just to have a drink and went up and they ended up talking for about an hour and a half. They talked about uh, recruiting Lowry Markin in at Gonzaga. And he said he was just an easy guy to, you know, and granted, this is a this is a guy who commentates games, it's not Brian Jeffries, but uh, I'll just say it, Matt Mulebach. But, you know, Mulebach was saying he's just an easy dude. Like people come up and talk to him. He's taking his time with them it wasn't this awkward you know like why are you <laughs> don't talking come, yeah don't ask don't ask me any questions just 
accept the smile and nod. And Sean Miller was fine. Not everybody has to be running for office, but right. Um, yeah, I was. I, I, that's what I kind of assume. By the way, can I tell you a quick Bob Dobbs story? Of course. I'm in Tucson. Yeah. So it's it's tangentially related to Bob Dobbs. But one time I was doing a live broadcast from PJ Subs, which used to mm-hmm. be across the street from Bob Dobbs. I don't know if it's still there. And I was the sign I was is still of, there. The sign is still there. That's good. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing this live show. And from across the street at Bob Dobbs, somebody sitting on the patio. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So there's some dude, and this is when I'm still in Tucson, and he's he's at on the patio of Bob Dobbs, and he's just screaming, hey, Jody, fuck you, over and over again while I'm trying to do like a live broadcast, right. just like get zoned in. And then uh, I walked over there, and I never found out who it was, but I'll always remember Bob Dobbs for the guy that was just screaming F you repeatedly over a two-hour period. Well, you are you are a memorable memorable person there, Jody. Look at it that way. <laughs> the the um look let's talk a little bit about this year's team. Actually, first, game time. All right. Now let's just say that you know somebody, Jody, that wants to go to an ASU basketball game. Well, that wouldn't be hard because you can get into ASU basketball games, but let's just say that they wanted to, but they didn't know where to get tickets. Game time. The best ticketing app out there. You can get these tickets for almost 60% off. We've had guys on our post-game show use it. Probably more relevant for an Arizona post-game or an Arizona basketball game. But check it out. Best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description. Game time. All right. Let's talk this year's team. Um, I'll be honest. Before the year, I didn't believe they were a national title contender. I thought that their ceiling was probably somewhere between about 15 and 20. Um, you lose Ben Mather and you lose Coloco. We all know the story. They come in and they blow teams out in Maui, San Diego State. Uh, Creighton was a, even though it was a two-point game, it was generally a bigger lead than that throughout. Yeah. And then you come back, Utah, Arizona looks terrible, doesn't look good against Cal. My concerns about this team are generally on the perimeter, obviously. And I don't know exactly how good the guard play is and the athleticism worries me to a certain extent. Yeah, my, my my fear with this team, and they're, it's all kind of consolidated to what you just talked about, is this team needs Dale and Terry. Like yeah. if Dale and Terry was – and I know it's dumb to play that game, but it feels like we played this game so many times with U of A hoops in the last decade of like if that one guy just didn't leave – and Dale and Terry, does, he's a first – he's barely playing with the Chicago Bulls. Right. We're terrible. Like he's barely playing – uh six seven freak athlete can bring the ball up another ball handler because what i think this team is missing when i watch is they've got a lot of dudes they got a lot of depth they got a lot of different ways they can beat you obviously balo inside is going to be a force i worry a little bit that he's who who was the uh the illinois big guy that for kofi coburn yeah kofi coburn that yeah there's just some games where it doesn't matter how big you are inside you got to be able to break teams off the dribble and make outside shots no this team's missing a, a a a star. This team is missing like a dude that draws three defenders when he attacks the rim and creates open looks for other guys. It's not Kier Kresa. It's not Courtney Ramey. It's not you know. There's Tavellis. no Ben Matherin on this team. No, I mean they. I mean obviously they could use Ben Matherin, but he was right. he was he was definitely ready. But it's like they need that dude. Right. And I don't think they've got it. And I don't know if that's just an outdated philosophy for college basketball, but I do think they're missing an alpha. And they got a lot of guys that are great role players and great contributors and can even be kind of stars for stretches. 
I don't know. They've got a guy that if it's the sweet 16 and Arizona's down nine with seven minutes to go that you're like, all right, watch out. This dude's just going to make things happen. Well, right. And, you know, we had Doug Gottlieb on a couple weeks ago and he was talking about it. And he said, listen, he said, there's no pros in the transfer portal. He said, it's great bringing in a Courtney Ramey. It's great bringing in a Cedric Henderson, but they're in the transfer portal for a reason. They can be good players, but they're not going to be those next level difference makers. And like you mentioned, you know, Kurt Kreisa does some very good things out there, but he's not going to be the guy that is going, you're going to isolate or that you're going to move off the ball and say, man, we got to get six, seven points here really quickly. Pella Larson to me is kind of a, he's a role player. He's a defender. Can't really dribble the ball much. You know, Ramey's got some real toughness to him, but you know, he's not an 18, 19 point per game guy. So for this team, in my opinion, to go far every single game, those two big men basically have to go for about 35 and 17, which their averages are. And it's got to be an impactful 35 and 17 because that's their one strength going into every single game. Pardon the pun. Well, for sure. And uh, I'll say, you know, uh, we won't know till we know, but like, do we really trust Tabellus in, in March again? I mean, that was a massive disappearing act. And I know he's talked about it. And I know there's always an opportunity for learning experience and to get better. But if you're going into an NCAA tournament and you need Tabellus to be a kind of most outstanding player caliber dude in order for you to win a championship, I don't feel great about that. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm not sure. Here's the other part about this is, I'm not sure that the guy even exists on their roster. So it's not like there's some young freshman that, hey, he's just not ready right now, but who knows in three months. You know, the guy that that has the physical skills is Adama Ball, and you're just like, that. he's not that guy. He's not right. this year. Um, I don't know that he'll ever be a star, but he's the closest proximity to what the look of an elite college basketball player would would play like. You know what it is to me? It's it's a little bit like the Michael Dickerson thing back when Arizona won the title and that he didn't play well at all in the tournament, quite frankly, kind of shrunk. And then next year looked great. But then when you went into the Elite Eight, Rick Majerus said, we're going to make Dickerson beat us right here. We're not going to let Simon and Bibby beat us. We already know they can beat us. And it kind of reared its head again. It's one of those things you can't really exercise those demons until those demons are in front of you again. Right. And it, And a lot of times, Jody, some guys are just built differently. I mean, people say all the time, I want to have the ball at the end of the game. Words are shallow. There are guys, you know it when you see somebody that wants the ball at the end of the game. I'm not saying that he hasn't turned that corner, but at the same time, that's a very real concern until, again, those demons are in front of you. Okay, so let's do this real quick because I know you like this kind of thing. Who are the the, uh, final seconds of a tie game power rankings of Arizona Wildcat players that you would feel most comfortable taking the last shot? Right, Salim's number one, right? Salim number one? Uh, Do I need a three? Or a basket? Um, you 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 need a bucket. You need you, but it's like the guy's got the ball. It's not a cold set play for Michael Wright on the low post. You know okay. what I mean? Like, I think we're talking mostly perimeter guys. Maybe it's Miles Simon. Maybe I don't know who's who's to on me, that list. There's three guys, and Salim is definitely one of those guys. To me, it's Miles, Jason Terry, or Salim. If you want to give me any of those three guys, mm-hmm. I'm totally cool with I'm totally cool with any of those because they all had very clutch factors to them. Now, Miles was different because Miles isn't going to pull up and hit a three. Miles is going to have to get in the lane and do stuff. Right. Whereas Salim, as you know better than anybody, can pull up from the cactus. Jason Terry can get you at all three different levels. Those would be the three that would come off the here's, top of my head. 
here's a wild card because I was I was trying to think like who is in the last ten to fifty. Everyone you just mentioned is you know older than I am and and right. hasn't been playing. You know, like, right. Um, Derek Williams probably the closest mm-hmm. in the last decade. Right. No I don't know that. I don't know that there's been another U of A player in the last decade that with the game on the line, the ball in their hands, you know, Nick Johnson tried to be that guy, didn't work. Right. Uh, TJ McConnell, you wanted the ball in his hands, but he wasn't making the shot. Right. Um, Trier, and, uh, Trier wanted the shot he was, but did you really want him taking it? Right, right. Yeah. Um, so it, I think Derek Williams was the last guy, and he was more about just like, taking over a whole game and just game wrecking an opponent, not necessarily hitting the game winner. That was the Derek Williams to me was the ultimate case of kind of, well, he and Salim to a certain extent were the ultimate case of East coast bias. The fact that Derek Williams wasn't a first team all American when, Oh yeah. When he was the best player in the country by the end of the season. I mean, and then Salim too, like you would hear Dick Vitale talk nonstop about JJ Redick. And I think it was loot that put on there. And he said, you know, Lute said, well, you know, Salim's shooting nine percentage points higher from three, and he's averaging as many points per game. Just you know? like go, whoever's watching this, go Google Salim Stoudemire's college football, uh, college basketball reference page, and just look at his shooting stats. I mean, this it, from the early 2000s when basically it was, you know, a handful of guys shooting threes, like he was sensational. Um, Here's another one I, I was I wanted to, to run by you is not to hijack your your life. No, you're good. I love that. Jody, we can talk this all day. So I during it might have been the most recent or one of the more recent U of A games, I compared Adama Ball to Jamel Horn. Mm-hmm. And what I was shocked by is the amount of Jamel Horn truthers that hopped in my timeline that were like, actually, Jamel Horn was awesome. Remember that clutch shot he hit? And I'm like, Jamel Horn, in my mind, is the ultimate all skill, hyper athletic, but never figured it out guy in my lifetime because he should have been like a lottery pick. He, he should was, have been Richard Jefferson. Oh, he he could bounce, he could jump through the ceiling. He had every skill you wanted, but just his just never figured it out. And um I was surprised there was a ton of like Jamel Horn defense in my timeline that I just didn't yeah. see coming. Is that a revisionist I, history? Did I miss something? No, no. I had actually had a class with Jamel Horn, and um, it's funny. And this was you got to remember, Jamel Horn's the guy that intentionally fouled when the team was up in two straight games. I mean, that. I mean, and and again, and I and those those were the K, that was the KO years as well. So, but yeah, I guess it was right. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I've never seen that. The problem with him, and again, everybody you know, discovers their, themselves later is that every time he was on the court, I was nervous that something right. was right. going to happen that you did not want to happen. Jamel, Jamel Horn was like an, uh, speaking of DraftKings, would be like an even bet every game to score a bucket on the other rim. You would just be like, I'm not taking that bet because it could happen. I'm not sure where his head's at. Um, yeah, they're, 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 those are the good old days. Remember when Chris Rogers stabbed Isaiah Fox with scissors in the training room? I do remember that. And what's crazy about Isaiah, uh, Chris Rogers, too, is on the ball, I'll, I'll, I always tell people this, that Reggie Geary, to me, was the best defensive player I've seen here. But I'll tell you one thing. On ball defense, yeah. hands, everything, Chris Rogers was el- uber elite there, Jody. He had a skill yeah. set that I haven't seen here before. I love the what if guys of like you know, Chris Rogers and his headband who could have been like 
a really great college basketball player just uh, didn't didn't have it all put together um yeah that's those are the that's the drama that we got towards the end of Lutz run um that we're not getting during Tommy Lloyd's run but there's right. there's you know there's some good memories from back in those days all right, Jody, let's talk. And again, oh, real quick, got to pay the bills. More furniture, morfurniture.com. They've revamped the entire uh, PHNX studios. My boss, Saul Bookman, is on here as well. Uh, he spoke very uh, highly of them. Again, great stuff going on, great deals as well. So again, check it out, morfurniture.com. Really good stuff going on right there. And again, if you need to revamp your entire interior, that's the place to go. Check it out, morfurniture.com. All right, Jody, I think we're going to disagree right here. And again, anytime Good. I disagree with Jody Ayler, it is said with the utmost reverence as I grew up listening to Jody Ayler. All right. I'm not, I'm not that old. Jesus. Oh, Christ. well, you know, you're five years older. You? How, old are you? How old are you, I'm Jody? 41. I'm 41. I'm an old. Okay, ass. five years. Are you, um, were you going to McHale Center, uh, knee high to a grasshopper and just like uh, little Mike Luke at, at all the U of A uh, games? I can tell you this. I would go to their practices on a on a Saturday by Saturday basis. And I always tell this story, but I'm going to tell it again. This is 94. And this is really when I realized that loot was different. This is keep in mind, this is when you got Damon Stoudemire and Khalid Reeves that make the yeah. final four. And they're both on opposite teams. And so the way that it was structured was you had loot in the middle who would stand up in the stands, and then you would either have like Roz or Jesse Evans, whoever coaching. And Rodney Tension. Rodney Tension, exactly. So you would have uh, so Khalid brings the ball up to midcourt, and keep in mind, Khalid Reeves is in the middle of one of the two or three best seasons in school history. Averaged over twenty four a game that year on the way to the Final Four. He looks over to Roz for a play call. Keep in mind, I'm like nine at this time, and Lute Olson yells, stops everything, and everybody's just stops. Takes his sweet time to get down to midcourt, and he says to Khalid, "Um, what were you doing there, Khalid?" And Khalid looks at him, he said, looking for a play. And he said, if you don't know the play to run by then, I haven't done my job. Have I not done my job? And then Khalid just kind of looks down and says, good point, and goes on and makes like 10 straight buckets after that. But it was the uh, the epitome to me of what Arizona basketball was under loot. The yeah. fact that he had this guy, Jody, that's averaging 24 a game, and he's saying, don't look to me. I've already talked to you about this. So, But that was basically my life growing up. Every Saturday would go down there for uh, – every Saturday would go down there for practices when they weren't playing. Before we get into you and I just uh, throwing daggers at each other, do you right. – one thing I missed most about the good old days of college basketball was when Lute was the coach, the worst guy on the team – was one of the biggest celebrities in Tucson. Always. You know what I mean? Like it was always, like, dude. Josh Pastner was like <laughs> a mega star in Tucson. Really and was. he was god awful as a basketball player. You yes. know, like we could we could do the human victory cigar rankings because there was like Jason Rainey, who's now some uber successful Kirk agent, and Kirk Walters. Kirk Kirk Walters, who I I swore up and down was one of the most athletic bigs that U of A ever had. He was just goofy as fuck. Like there was no, there was no like turning Kirk Walters in a stone cold killer. But yeah, they're like, remember Travis Hanauer before he, oh, Travis Hanauer from Virginia Beach. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
transferred and had a nice look. But there were certain guys at the end of the bench that you were like, David Baga wrote a book for crying out. <laughs> Dude, same, oh, just, Justin Wessel, even though he got playing time, was always a guy. He'd come in with his goggles. And those were like the apex loot teams right there. And they were, he like was, you said, they were always beloved. He was, uh, Justin Wessel was doing U of A post games when I first mm-hmm. got into radio. It was him and Ryan, Ray, Miles oh, Simon was part of it. And, and it was like, Kind of being in the studio, starting my career with Justin Wessel was a big deal. Great guy, really nice right. guy. Miles Simon wasn't the nicest guy in the world, but <laughs> uh, that's I don't believe I'm the first person to to reveal uh, that. I've, I've I can I've had uh, by all accounts Miles has matured, but I will put it to you like this: when I was lurking around campus as a 12, 13 year old, Miles was never one of the players that I chose to approach. Jason Terry was always a guy that I wanted to approach because he would talk with he would talk with anyone. Um, AJ Bramlett was very cool. Vinny Gene Edgerson, w- another one of those like role player superstars with his bike knee pads. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'll, I'll never forget seeing Bibby on campus was amazing because Bibby literally it was never. And again, Bibby is now kind of gone crazy, but you know before that. All Bibby cared about was basketball. It was crazy. So you would see him and he would generally have a McDonald's bag and he would have a basketball in his hand or whatever. Mm. And it wasn't that he was pretentious per se. It's just that he was always headed to McHale or he was thinking about basketball. He was just so zoned in on what basketball meant to him. It was just you could tell that he was precocious from a very early age. That was like, um, you know, when I was on campus, it was Jefferson and Gill and mm-hmm. Gardner was always super approachable. Gilbert was just a rascal, right? Like right. shooting out the engineering building windows with a BB gun and the stories you would hear from La Paz next door of just right. the kind of crap he was up to. But then um, I probably already told you a story. My favorite random U of A basketball story was um, Luke Walton and Richard Jefferson lived in a condo uh right down the street from it is off it was off mountain and roger they okay. lived in um so you're a park couple place. miles off yeah park yeah. park place something like that and um we went over there to a house party one time and there was there was we went into their house and there was an answering machine because that's how old i am everybody had answering machines back then. right and there was a voicemail that he played for everybody and it was bill walton calling his son luke walton saying luke this is your father, Bill Walton. And then he leaves the message like, you don't need to identify. Who, hey, when was the last time your dad come? Like, Jody, this is your father, John Ayler. I'm like, yeah, I got it, Pops. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who you are. <laughs> There's not another father out there, especially when it's Luke Walton. <laughs> I know. It's wild. But yeah, those are the, the I, I am anxious and I'm excited that we are we're nearing closer to those days for you. For sure. All right. Now, before we get to the conference, uh, this is a – I. You mentioned this player, and I, I've always felt this. Andre Vera says, Jody, you're Mike. What Arizona basketball player do you wish had come back for one more year? To me, that's Gilbert Arenas. I think Gilbert Arenas would have averaged 25, 26, 27 points a game had he come back. Now, he made the right decision, but that's the guy for me. Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, I think there's two that pop into my mind. Um Man, obviously it's it's recency bias, but you do you do I do look at Dalen Terry for this team, and I mm-hmm. just think he's the absolute perfect player for this team, and would have been a real alpha when they needed it most. Um, you know, I'll go back to a guy that gets a bad rap and kind of lost in Arizona basketball history. I think Marcus Williams was yeah. one of the great U of A early success stories 
kind of overshadowed by Chase Budinger and some other high-profile recruits, but was just a beast from day one, kind of Derek Williams-esque, where it kind of came out of a place where you're like, whoa, I didn't know this dude had this in him. And I feel like had he stayed a third year, um, you know, again, that was sort of the tail end of the loot era. My years kind of get – kind of No, for sure. Yeah, it was second to last year for sure. Yeah, and I feel like Marcus Williams was a guy that should have had a bigger impact and legacy for U of A basketball than being a guy that, honest to God, nobody thinks about, talks about, or mention. I don't know if he's been back to McHale Center once. I don't know what Marcus Williams is doing, but he was a monster for two years. He was averaging, and it's a great question, about six years ago, this is the last time I heard of him, he was averaging like 30 a game in China or something, but he got... Right? Good for Marcus Williams. Yeah, it, it was something like that. All right, Jody, I think you and I disagree on Arizona's future in conference right here. Um, I've uh, I've been making the case why I like the Big 12 more. I think you like sticking in the conference, but I don't want to speak for you. So what are your initial thoughts just on everything that's happened in the conference and what you think is the best fit for Arizona and ASU being that they are, let's be honest, package deals? Yeah, I I am a diehard stick in the Pac-12, circle the wagons. I think from a football perspective, as we just saw, Utah, Oregon, and Washington are a trio of programs that can absolutely anchor a legitimate bona fide conference. Um, A lot of this, and and I don't dive too much into the financial details, so I'll defer to you that's probably done your homework on this a little bit more thoroughly. I just don't like the Big 12 personally. I have no interest in watching – 55 basketball and football games against Kansas State and Texas Tech and these programs that honestly I just don't personally have never cared about. I've always viewed them as sort of like nondescript. So, you know, without Texas and Oklahoma, there's just not a lot of meat on that bone for me to be excited. And I'm, I'm viewing this selfishly like what games am I getting excited about year in and year out in college football if there's some arranged marriage between the Big 12 and Pac-10 Whereas, as dumb as it may sound, romantic as it may be, I love playing Washington and Oregon and Oregon State. And I love, hey, Pullman, got to watch out. That road trip in January and and Pac-12 basketball plays, you got to fly into Montana and drive across Idaho or whatever it is, or you're staying in Idaho. Like, I love the history and tradition, whatever we have of it in the Pac-12, and I don't at all have any interest in trying to pretend to be a big 12 school like i've u of a in tucson is not a big 12 campus it's not a big 12 school it's not it's just not big 12 to me agreed agreed let me make the case though because if arizona were to join the big 12 in basketball it becomes the best basketball conference in the country here's my concern and everything basically uh stems for me is arizona basketball again i get arizona football but basketball you know this better than anybody basketball is what matters here arizona would be playing kansas uh, Kansas game it or year in and year out fog Allen. You would get Baylor as well, which is a top 10 program. Houston's coming into the conference as well. You've got, uh, excuse me. You've got, to, you've got other, you've got other schools at yeah, Texas tech. Again, I get it that, but they were in the chant. They were in the final four, a few years. Here's what just terrifies me. Jody is that the PAC 12 without in the PAC 10 without basket or without the LA schools is essentially Arizona and Oregon. There just isn't really anything anything else there at that point. It almost feels like a Mountain West type situation. Yeah, I get that. I, I think there's real strength in the Pac-12 that just has been latent for a while, and I know the landscape's changed. But 
it wasn't that long ago where you were watching real programs, Tony Bennett leading Washington state. They were, they were a good program. And, you know, there's Stanford uh, is probably the biggest decline of an overall athletic department in the last decade in any power five conference, David Shaw, David Shaw quits and nobody gave a shit. This guy was on par with urban Meyer and Nick Saban. And paid like it too. And paid like it. He was, no, no, no NFL jobs learn him. He is, yeah. And then he just quits and no one cares. Like Stanford's decline is arguably the biggest reason for the Pac 12's decline because they have the national standing and alumni base to generate real respect. I don't know what's going on in the Bay Area. I don't know enough about the politics. Well, of dude, what's think going back on. into the 90s. My, when Mike, Mont- outside Mike of McHale, outside of McHale, Maples yes. was the meanest place to play. In the conference, by it was McHale and Maples, and that was it. There used to be a real trio minimum of college basketball powerhouses in U of A, Stanford, and UCLA. Oregon would always be icing on the cake. USC UW would have a year. Cal would have yeah. a year. Exactly. Omar would do something at UW, and then you'd have Ernie Ken at, at Oregon that would, you know, have a couple Luke Ridenour and Luke Jackson, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. So, like, Aaron Brooks. I, I, by the way, Luke Jackson is my all-time Pac-12 to the NBA miss. I thought Luke Jackson was going to be a phenomenal NBA player. Not like you, a superstar, but like a really good player. Well, you and Dick Vitale are in the same boat right there. Because I remember when Iguodala was drafted, he was saying, how in the world is it Luke Jackson picked here? You know, so, you know, it happens. <laughs> I love Luke thing. Jackson, too. Yeah, hopefully that's the only thing uh, Duke Vitale and I have in common. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I, I, so I think I have a core belief that there is more strength in this conference than we have shown or seen in the last few years. And that's nostalgic and maybe romantic, but I don't view the remnants of the Big 12 as a source of strength or pride for these programs. If you're doing a draft and we just take USC and UCLA out of the mix and you take Texas and Oklahoma out of the mix, if you're drafting athletic programs, football and basketball combined, like five of the first seven picks are Pac-12 schools. And I don't like being the team like UW, Oregon, Utah, U of A are arguably better as combined football and basketball schools than any remaining individual Big 12 school from just a, I don't know, this is, I'm super biased, Big 12 fans. Over Baylor? Baylor, I mean, God, yeah, I think, you know, Baylor obviously more, you know, recently has been really good, but like. Baylor to me is I, I don't give a shit about Baylor. Like I have no, you know what I mean. Like I right. just don't care about Baylor basketball or Baylor football in a way that gets me excited as a fan to, to start those traditions and rivalries over right. again. Um, yeah, very recently, if you're looking at it, sure, there's there's more success there because Pac-12 was in in Epley run at the highest level by a commissioner that was the absolute worst. But right. I do think we got to separate Larry Scott's weakness from the conference's weakness. And I actually think U of A basketball, ASU football is as painful as it can be for U of A fans to admit the more those get back to what they were, the better everybody off is in the conference. Jody, I cannot thank you enough for hopping in again for everybody out there. Like I said, uh, um, you know, you, you're making us proud down here in Tucson, man. Listen to you whenever I can. Just a, a big, very appreciative of you and appreciative of you for uh, even when I, try, I, I tried uh, getting a job there. And Jody, to his credit, said we don't have anything. 
but you might want to go try over there. I'll always thank you for that because I didn't even know. I didn't even think about that possibility. I appreciate you, my man. You're the best, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again sometime. Oh, we will definitely be doing this again soon. You got any? You got any? Uh, you got any fill-in gigs coming up? You got any uh, Dan Patrick stuff? All, all I have are three children that prevent me from doing anything other than the basic responsibilities day to day to survive as a human being. So um, we'll see what's cooking, but for now, it's just every holiday is dad duty to to infinity. Right. You're the best, Jody. We'll talk to you soon, my man. Hey, good to see you, man. He's Jody Ayler. I'm Mike Luke. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.